your Locked On Penguins, your daily podcast on the Pittsburgh Penguins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, welcome to this Friday afternoon edition of the Locked On Penguins podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Hodes. Remember to follow me on Twitter at Hunter Hodes. Follow the show's Twitter at LO underscore Penguins. Today's episode is brought to you by Locker Room. Download the app and join me this week. I know I didn't do it last night because of the crazy game. I'm going to try to do one tonight around maybe 8, 30, 9 o'clock whenever my girlfriend goes to bed. Download to get in on the action. Locker Room changing the way we talk sports. Uh, Today, I have two very special guests who have not been on the Locked On Penguins podcast before, but they run a podcast of their own. If you are not subscribed to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, um, I really don't know what you are doing with your life. Um, I call it the Nick and Nick show because, you know, <laughs> almost like Mike and Mike in the morning with ESPN with what they used to do, I'm going to start calling it that I've just been adopted the name of the Nick and Nick show because um, they do a great job covering the team have a lot of great guests on that, you know, maybe try to, try to steal a couple of them at some point. Um, but um, whichever one of you go on is go first. How are both of you doing today? I'll, uh, I'll leave it off because uh, Mike and Mike in the morning is a hell of a throwback. I used to listen <laughs> to that almost every morning on the car ride to elementary school back when uh, I used to be able to find ESPN radio in Pittsburgh. But yeah, we're doing good here. It's it's a little balmy in my uh, new apartment right now. So the sun is finally out. It is 86 degrees. And the AC is really loud, so I cannot turn it on. But uh, we're here. We're surviving this series as much as we can because, uh, like we will discuss, that that game three was a, it was a wild one. It's a wild one for sure. Yes. I will uh, take your eighty six degrees and I'll raise you to ninety five down there here in go. Virginia. Also, no AC because of how loud the unit is. But we're here to have a great time and talk Penguins because that game was insane on Thursday night. So I think. That's the best way to just lead into it. Let, let's get talking. I'm excited. Yeah, let's just get right into it. A crazy, wild 5-4 fair. And yes, uh, Nick, it is 91 degrees here in Tyson's Corner. And I'm also in Northern Virginia where my girlfriend mm-hmm. lives. So um, it is hot. But yeah, let's just get right back into it. As I was saying, 5-4, to four, crazy game. You know, it didn't look like it was going to get that way going into the third period. You know, I mean, it was just like, okay, lockdown defense like the Penguins did in the, second peri- in the third period Excuse me, of game two. Put an end to this. Uh, then the Islanders had some other ideas. You know, you had Scott Mayfield going around looking like a moron. Uh, Matt Martin uh, basically tr- uh, showing all Penguins fans that he needs to be sent to the Gulag and War Zone of Call of Duty. Um, you have Kyle Clutterbuck throwing down on some people. Um, just what did you make of that wild third period? Whichever one of you wants to go first. I, I made of it. It was shades of that 2011 um, situation, but not to the severity yeah. or extent, I think, um, because it was in the same building. It was the same teams, but um, different names for the most part. You know, I mean, Trevor Gillies wasn't standing over downed. Oh, who was it? I forget who it was that was down. Eric Goddard's not hopping off the bench. I mean, it's it's two new teams almost. So you had that vibe of it. Plus, I mean, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't guys, you know, straight up meleeing every other minute. It was um, post-whistle scrums that would break out. That was kind of the difference there, but uh, still not the ideal way to play um, to play hockey, let alone uh, try and stay in a game when it led to that many that many penalty minutes as well. 
it was funny because for a couple of minutes, it looked like it was just going to be straight brawling for the entire time. I mean, we have, how often do we get to say that we saw all five Pittsburgh Penguins that are in the starting lineup get sent to the box <laughs> yeah. simultaneously. And Jake Gensel got two minors because he also took a slashing at the end of that. So we had that, then we had some more penalties right after that. There was a while there where it was kind of reminiscent of what we, what we saw between the Rangers and the Capitals at the end of the regular season. There's a lot of bad blood between the Penguins and the Islanders now because we're three games into this, both teams. And I, I believe it was Brandon Tanev after the game that said it, they hate each other. They're not They're not fond of each other. And yeah. that's definitely shown through three games now. These franchises have hated each other for years. I mean, we obviously know what happened in 1993. Don't want to speak about that. I wasn't even alive, but I know how bad that altered the franchise a little bit because they should have won it all that year. Um, but yeah, these, these franchises just... They've never gotten along. And, you know, I said this on my episode yesterday. You know, when the Islanders are down like that, they have the personnel where they'll just want to goon it up if they want to. And that's what they try to do. You know, the teams have tried to get the Penguins off their game for so many years. You know, if this were under Dan Bilesma, don't even really want to know how that game uh, would have ended. But Mike Sullivan, um, he just has completely complete control, excuse me, of this team. And, you know, the, the weird part about that sequence, Kelly Sutherland was embarrassing there as the head of referee. Um, the fact that the Islanders got a power play out of that and basically a gift goal out of that too, considering like two of the Penguins' best penalty killers were in the box during it, um, that just goes to show that they had no idea what they were doing with it. I mean, they totally missed Scott Mayfield uh, throwing two haymakers at Brian Dumoulin's head. Um, they missed Matt Martin basically cross-checking him in the head. I think Mayfield uh, did it to Crosby right before during that scrum mm-hmm. as well. And, you know, they just decided to take take everyone. But the problem with doing that is you got to go to replay or even better yet, after the game, make these officials available to the media. You know, Seth Rohrbaugh yeah. of the Tribune Review uh, has said that many times on his Twitter, and I completely agree with him. I mean, it's just they're not going to, like, say anything because, you know, they're not made available to the media. But if you do make them available, uh, now they'll actually have to double down on their decisions and, you know, just speak to as of what happened. But, you know, there was a while there, uh, guys, that, I did not think they were going to win that game, especially when the Islanders tied it up with Beauvillier. I loved the response from Carter, but especially when Clutterbuck scored at 4-4, I was like, this has late regulation loss written all over it or an OT loss where the Nassau Coliseum is going to go nuts. It's funny because I wrote – sorry to cut you off, Oral, but I wrote an article that came out today just titled, This Team is Different. And the main sticking point of that is Game 3 last year against the Canadiens, Penguins had a 3-1 lead. 3-3 3-3 tie, all of a sudden they were deflated. They gave up an early third period goal and they lost the game 4-3. to That spelled the end of their season last year. This year, same thing. 3-1 lead, only this time we took a 3-1 lead into the third period. Everything that we saw happens, 3-3 game, and they come back, what, two minutes later with the Jeff Carter goal? It, it is a different team. It is a built different team, and the resiliency is at another level this year. Definitely different than last year's, and, and I would even say it, a different team than what we've ever seen in the Crosby Balkan era. Yeah. And Hunter, I can agree with you in saying that um, it didn't feel like we were going to win because, and it wasn't so much because of the bad play of the skaters or the, you know, the amount of pet bad penalties that are being taken on both sides. It was that it's, it felt like Tristan Jari wasn't in it anymore. It felt like he wasn't going to be able to make a save. I mean, I mean, Sidney Crosby saved his, saved his space there. It's, um, you know, he had to be the one that stepped in to make the save, whereas we saw Jari kind of going after the player rather than the puck on the 
um, Kyle Clutterpuck goal. It was not a game where I felt, toward the end at least, I felt very confident in our goalie. And to be fair, maybe that, maybe that was just nerves, me saying that I'm not confident in any Penguins goalie in the playoffs. Because, Matt Murray syndrome from the last couple of years. <laughs> yeah, I just assume every puck is going in against our goalie. So um, maybe that's kind of what it was, but that's where I felt the worst at. I felt whenever the Islanders were attacking and they were setting something up, I felt every shot was going to go in. It felt just off. Whereas, you know, if this is regular season, maybe I'm thinking – so what? Maybe he'll stop a couple, whereas playoffs, I mean, every save is so important. And they were getting good opportunities, the Islanders. So that was kind of my uh, step back for the game, whereas I really did think we weren't going to pull it out either. And, and I, I think mean, with Jari, you know, I think he, did, he definitely wants a couple of those back. The third yeah. one I did not like at all. Can't leave the five hole open. They really don't know what he's doing with his stick. I think the second and the fourth goals, he really had no chance on. Both mm-hmm. of them were just really off deflections. The first one, I also think – screened double screened i think in front i really just didn't like the third one i know he gave up four it's not what you're looking for but he also i think made a lot of really nice saves when the islanders were really pushing late first period and then for a lot of the second i mean when you knew there was going to be a lot of pushback but or i I definitely know where you're coming from you know as i said it's a little bit of matt murray syndrome from the last couple of years but overall i still think he played an all right game but you know not to the level of game two where um he was really, really good. And I also will say this, you know, before we do get to a commercial break, uh, the Penguins' defensive effort during those last five minutes was atrocious. Did not really like what they were giving up. I know the Islanders were obviously pushing. Um, they were into it because they were on the half side of the arena where all the fans are crammed in, or as I like yeah. to say, the vaccinated side, um, as the other side was just there was hardly anyone there because that was the unvaccinated side, So, which is an odd setup to begin with. But... Um, Going back to, I just didn't like the Penguins' defensive effort uh, towards the end of the game. They'll have to clean that up for Game Four, which just because it's going to be raucous inside the Coliseum there um, as well. Do, do you have anything more to add about the period in general before we switch gears a little bit to um, our folk hero, Brandon Tanev? <laughs> well, I just have one other thing. Yeah. I mean, Sidney Crosby now leads the league in postseason save percentage at a one thousand <laughs> with his save in Game Two yes. and his save in Game Three. Yes, that was. That that saved the game, I think is the best way to say it. Uh, yep. That is a wide-open net. Brock Nelson, Penguins killer over these last few years. Um, he scores there. Um, I'll say it now. I don't think they win that game. Uh, I really do not think they win that. And for some reason, my AirPods were disconnected there for some reason. Never mind. Okay, we're good now. Um, but yeah, they like I said, they do not win that game, I don't think, if Brock Nelson scores there. Mm-hmm. But... Um, that'll do it for this segment. We have a lot more to get to for this episode of the Locked On Penguins podcast, including the marvel, the magnificence, excuse me, of Chris Letang, and yes, folk hero Brandon Tanev, who is now my lock screen on my iPhone with that picture <laughs> from the other night. But before we do that, it's time to talk about Built Bar. Did you know that Built Bar has nine delicious flavors plus the occasional limited time flavor? When you talk to a Built Bar fan, they're definitely passionate about their faves. If you don't know the Bilt Bar flavors well, you are missing out. There's coconut, coconut almond, cherry raspberry, and my favorite, the peanut butter brownie. If you haven't tried all the flavors, you can get a mix box where you'll, you'll, you'll get 12, excuse me, 12, where you'll get two of each of the nine flavors. Most of the flavors have 17 grams of protein, only 130 calories, only four grams of sugar, and only four grams of net carbs. 
few of the others have 18 grams of protein, just 180 calories, just 5 grams of sugar, and 5 grams of net carbs. You can go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your first order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off your first order at BuiltBar.com. All right, welcome back to this episode of the Locked on Penguins podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Hodes. Remember to follow me on Twitter, at Hunter Hodes. Follow the show's Twitter, at LO underscore Penguins. So let's just start with the man, the myth, the legend, the man with the beautiful hair, Brandon Tanev, getting the game winner last night, especially after the video comes out the night before where um, it looks like he's just on crack cocaine during every <laughs> single game. I mean, the guy drinks Red Bulls uh, before warm-ups. Um, what did you all think of that game winner and especially the celebration? Well, let's be real. He politely sips Red Bulls. That, that was probably the calmest part of the entire video. And everything from then on was uh, mass mayhem. And I feel like because of the, I don't know how to put it, just the aura that has surrounded him all season with, you know, the, the headshot coming out of him looking, you know, a thousand miles into space with the, the new haircut, the long, um, flowing hair. I feel like the media has been really paying attention to him. That's kind of how these great, you know, celebration photos have come about because there's a lot more focus on him as a player. It's kind of how, you know, there'd be always just cameras on Crosby. Well, now there's always a camera on Tanev, it seems, just because of this, like I said, this aura that is surrounding him. And it's quite amazing. And it's, you know, obviously given us some great talking points, some great moments and obviously now all these memes are going to fly out about it uh not to mention the whole mustard thing which i remember when <laughs> someone a couple years ago there was a photo or a video came out of him eating a pack of mustard on the on the bench i didn't realize how common that was in the nhl that um guys just do that i guess i'm assuming for a little calorie or protein or something like that um and mustard seems like a good choice because it jack up your sinuses if you get the right kind so you can breathe a little easier it's like smelling salts but without the smelling salts of it yeah that was that, that, that's just that whole video was yeah something else you know imitating the guy from uh the mark mike from finding nemo yeah um <laughs> just what were your thoughts on brandon tanev's game yesterday with the game winner and just him overall in these playoffs because um you look at the underlying numbers and i think this comes courtesy of danny from penn's blog Controlling 69% of the shot attempts. Nice, by the way. The Corsi share is well above 60%. The expected goals um, is almost around 70. Um, he has been everything the Penguins have needed and so much more since coming back. The man is a freaking enigma in the, for this team. I mean, he is a leader that is a fourth liner. You don't see it very often, and he doesn't need to lead by the normal fourth line leader standards where he goes out and he pummels someone. Yeah, he lays the big hits like he did in game two on Brock Nelson. Yeah, he's a talker, which is great, but he also goes out there and leads by example. The guy, his nickname is Turbo for a reason. He has an engine that just doesn't quit, and he's shown that in all three games. I'm glad you mentioned the underlying numbers because those are numbers that I had highlighted too from, from Danny as well. And just the way that he has played, and that whole line has played this season, to be able to get that offense to come with it too. I know he was on pace to have a career season as far as goals scored. And, of course, injuries in a shortened season because of COVID hurt that. But he's had a great season. He's had a fantastic postseason. And I think Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh's just in love with him. I, and there's good reason for it, too. Zach Aston Reese said last night that when all that crap happened, the one voice that was louder than everybody else's was Brandon Tanev yeah. saying, keep calm, which, again, 
that's a very weird oxymoron of Brandon Tanev telling people to keep calm, but he w- he was that steadying presence for the Pittsburgh Penguins on the bench, and then on the ice, he was the, the exact opposite. He was a complete and utter menace, and, and it just is perfect that he was able to go and put a game-winning goal up there for the Pens. Do you call it the identity line by chance? I would not because it's awful. <laughs> hey, hey, you know, these the Islander fans like to say that the they have the best fourth line in hockey. Um, hard pass. Um, the yeah, maybe were, like three years ago. Yeah, you know, Cal Clutterbuck and Matt Martin, you know, for as physical as they are, um, all they really do is hit. You know, sure, Cal Clutterbuck had a couple goals last night, but I'm pretty sure the Astros Blue Tanev line has better underlying numbers in this series so far. Oh, yeah, and by the way, Brandon Tanev has um, – He's outproducing everyone so far, and you know, and Zach Astonis is also playing awesome defensively. So, um, I'll definitely take the Penguins' fourth line over the Islanders' one every day. Uh, switching gears a little bit, uh, what about Chris Letang, fellas? I mean, this is just magnificent hockey from him. I'll keep saying it; he's the best defenseman in this franchise's history. No disrespect to Paul Coffey being here for four years, but in terms of a franchise defenseman. It's been there's no one better that's been better for this franchise than Crystal Tang. And um his play at both ends of the rink has been nothing short of spectacular through these first three games. Yeah, he's been absolutely phenomenal. And it's yeah, you mentioned the franchise defenseman. I mean, I we've all been saying that for a long time now. I think him his longevity has really helped helped that along. Uh, fighting through injuries and, you know, his stroke from a long time ago. He's fought through everything to stay in this league and stay on this team. So, yeah, it hurts he's getting older, but he's, you know, getting older but playing his best hockey right now, it seems. He's really geared his game into um, being the best he can be, especially with a slow start to the beginning of the season that was uh, very very criticized by a lot of people and not just uh, the one man that we all know and love. But – yeah, it's. I'm sure Belanski has more on it, but uh, yeah, Belanski's just taking from here. Chris Letang's just been all time great for us. You mentioned the beginning of the season, and that first month yeah. it looked like Chris Letang was aging like old cottage cheese, but it <laughs> since has been aging like a fine wine. He's had a great season. He's been able to stay healthy, knock on wood, and then in these this postseason, he's just taken it up to another level. I mean, three points in, in Thursday night's win. He is leading the Pittsburgh Penguins defense, who for the most part has had pretty much a very successful first couple of games against the Islanders. I think a big reason why Barzell has struggled offensively is because of the Penguins' fourth line going up against them. But, you know, kudos to the defense, too. They've played pretty well. There's been stretches where they've struggled. Like you mentioned, the last five minutes of Game 3 was something not to behold, and hopefully that's something they leave behind them in Game 3. But Chris Letang, for for what it's worth, has been one of the top players in the postseason – defensively for any team not just the Pittsburgh Penguins he has been something that has been a revelation and you said it earlier in the episode Hunter like 2016 Chris Letang which was something that was the main reason one of the main reasons the Penguins won a Stanley Cup so if Letang can keep this up it bodes well for Pittsburgh it's the best hockey I've ever seen him play was during those playoffs um he he was in my con Smythe ballot if I had one that's for sure and he's rivaling how good he was there and he's five years older than he was at that point which is just nothing short of spectacular um i just i really liked his game and you know to add on your thing with barzell you know he was starting to cook a little bit more last night not as much as we thought he would um the underlying numbers are starting to flip towards him a little bit as he gone down against the penguins fourth line um but it's still not enough where he's producing um 
on a more full-time basis. You know, where's that analytic equation, Pierre, Pierre Maguire? Um, but uh, we still have a little more to get to. We'll get to this last commercial break here before I get your thoughts on Game 4 um, and the rest of the series. And yes, we will talk a little bit about Pierre Maguire because that was probably the worst game I've ever heard him call last night. And I've been listening to Pierre Maguire talk or call games ever since... Whew, think when I was in fifth grade when they went to the final for the first time when I was alive. So, um, yeah. But um, anyways, before we do get to that next segment, it's time to talk about Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all the action at Bet Online. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and all your UFC action. Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or phone and check out all the great sporting news, sign up bonuses, and contest information. You can head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit that's been online. You're online sportsbook experts with a promo code locked on. All right, welcome back to this episode of the Locked On Penguins podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Hody. Remember to follow me on Twitter at Hunter Hody. Saw this show's Twitter at LO underscore Penguins. So, only have about probably five, 10 minutes left here for this episode before we head uh, to the weekend. But, want to get your thoughts. We're just going to preview game four a little bit here. Obviously, this is a must-win for the Islanders. Uh, this could be the last ever game at the Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum in Uniondale. Hashtag cancel the Coliseum from Wesley Euler and yours truly on Twitter. Um, we started that hashtag on his show uh, just a couple days ago, and we are now bringing it into full force as the Penguins try to send that building out with a bang that it truly deserves because um, I just don't like that building. Um, but overall... Um, to both of you, it sounds like Barry Trotz might be thinking of a goalie change tomorrow. And it shouldn't be surprising, I don't think, because Semyon Varlamov has not played well against Pittsburgh this year outside of that good effort in Game 2. If you looked at his overall save percentage against them coming into the playoffs, it was 898. Even with that good performance in Game 2 and last night what happened there, it's probably still around 898, 900 for the year. Is it the right move to go back to Sorokin in this game? I mean, it almost just seems like, I'm not going to really say just yet, you know, is the captain going down with his ship? You know, I mean, obviously it's still only two games to one. Anything can happen. But um, I think Trotz is just looking for anything to spark his team as, you know, this this actually still could be the last game at the Coliseum. The goaltending situation is weird for them because um, I said it before on our show, it you don't want to go back and forth and start a carousel. That's not what you're looking for because that doesn't put you know, a lot of confidence in either of your goalies really because um, the coach just making changes like that because it's such an important position and they're such mental players that uh, you know if you decide to all of a sudden start flipping back and forth, it's going to take away from the mentality somewhere. So in the grand scheme of things in that sort of situation, it's not good to be you know, flipping back and forth, but especially whenever they're both healthy. It's not like one of them's hurt. I know one of them came back from injury, but still, it's not how you want to look at this. So, um, I mean, if I were Trotz, I would just hold your confidence in something. I mean, it's interesting. It is a hard situation, but, um, I mean, I guess you just – I guess he's the coach for a reason who makes those decisions. So, but if I was him, I mean, I'd say stick with your guy because you know you're going to have Sorokin for a long time. That's one of your safe assumptions, right? Whereas Varlamov is – Older, I don't know the contract situations there, but he's making you know, a good amount of money, I think, for the yeah, next few it, years. Yeah, so it's all interesting, but um, 
yeah, you just don't want to start the uh, start the carousel. You don't want to start something like that up because then it will take away from the mentality of both of the guys because he's not giving his confidence somewhere. I feel like with the way that he has handled it so far, of course, Varlama being injured for game one, so Sorokin plays. And Sorokin had a good game in game one. The, the goals that he allowed were okay. They were okay goals, but at the same time, he made a lot of big saves, even though they didn't need to be big saves. It was pretty routine saves that he made. I call them flurryisms, where he made it look diff- more difficult than it was. But then you go to Varlamov when he comes back, and it makes sense because he went with Varlamov eight or six out of the eight games during the regular season. So you knew that's where he was going to go as soon as Varlamov was healthy. Now in back-to-back games, getting back-to-back losses and trailing in the series, you look at those two guys' numbers over the regular season in total, they were pretty even. And it's not like there is such a dichotomy between the two of them. I think... It makes sense to go back to Sorokin for game four. But beyond that, I agree with Horwat. You don't want to keep, you know, if Sorokin loses in game four, you don't go back to Varlamov in game five and just say, all right, save us. We, are, we, we lost confidence in you in game yeah. four, but save us now down three to one on the road. So yeah. if you're going to make the switch, you got to stick to it the rest of the series. But Barry Trotz does what Barry Trotz wants, and he is a great coach. So far be it for me to tell him what to do. But I would think if you go with Sorokin in game four, then for game five, you got to stick with him as well. Yeah, and, and you bring up a great point. If the Penguins do win tomorrow, it potentially close out the Coliseum for good. Um, you probably do have to stick with Sorokin. You know, you're not just going to do this flip flop thing. I know Mike Sullivan only did it once in the 2016 playoffs when he started Flurry, then went back to Murray. But you know, then Murray earned his the rest of the playoffs just because of how good he played. And you know, you weren't just going to give that back the net. Um, but I do agree. Overall, what are you guys looking forward to with this game? Do you foresee Trotz making other? Lineup decisions. I know Travis Zajac is a healthy scratch. I don't even really know why they acquired him in the first place. Just is cooked kind of now. Um, what, what do you think is just mainly going to happen with tomorrow's matchup just with the Islanders? I mean, I'm sure they're obviously going to be juiced up. Mm-hmm. Um, the old barn, they want to try to send it out with a bang. Um, the crowd is going to be really up for it. Um, and they're going to be desperate, I think, is the big thing tomorrow. Um, they don't want to go back to Pittsburgh down 3-1 with how Pittsburgh is now, if you combine it with the playoffs, uh, 23-4-2 and four and two, um, at home. And that is, that's very hard to to win there. So just what are your thoughts on the overall um, outlook for the game tomorrow, both of you? It'll be, it'll be a difficult fight for sure. I mean, it's, we already heard people um, talking, at least I did on radio about, is there going to be carryover <clears throat> from that <clears throat> third period on into the next game is there going to be um some more melee basically it's um gonna be a hard-fought game and uh, i don't know if it'll get to the same score that it did because it's probably going to turn into whoever scores first is going to try and immediately shut it down and win it you know two nothing two to one one nothing even so whoever scores first that's going to be an important one so penguins will have to hop on that and hold on to something because we saw the penguins try and shut it down last game. You know, it's, we don't do it as well as they do, obviously, but um, we're able to hop on it, score first and really hold it down and maybe pick up a, a, uh, an insurance fighting through whatever they decide to throw at us too, because that's going to be the big question mark is, is it going to carry over? I think what you're going to see in game four is a lot of what you saw in game three to start out. You're going to see the Islanders come out guns ablaze and they're going to be hitting everything that moves for the Pittsburgh Penguins and they're going to make it tough for the Penguins to find any 
you know, room to breathe in the offensive zone. I think we see an opposite of what we saw in game three. I think it's going to be a very low scoring affair. I predict two to one. I still think Jake Gensel has a goal in him. I, I, he's all around the place with it, but hasn't been able to put one in the back of the net. So I think Jake Gensel gets a goal, and I, and I think the Penguins come out two to one. But irregardless, I, I think it's going to be a low scoring event, and I think it's going to be really chippy as well, just from the get go, especially being in being in Long on Long Island, I should say. In Long Island, no, don't don't say that. <laughs> I'm just not saying that. <laughs> But yeah, I think the Islanders, you know, I was listening to what the Locked On Isles guy, Gil Martin, was saying. You know, he just talked about, you know, they haven't gotten to their game yet. And we all know what the Islanders' game is. You know, they trap it down. They play boring hockey. I mean, but, you know, all these games are just going to be fights just because they're well coached. They have a lot of playoff experience. I mean, you know, I I was listening to people like earlier in the week previewing the series. They were like, oh, yeah, the Penguins are going to run all over this team. And, you know, I I think the Penguins have obviously been the better team. It's showing through these first three games that I definitely think they are the better team. And that, you know, one of the reasons that the Islanders resorted to some violence last night was because, you know, they're probably getting frustrated that what what they're doing is not working. But, you know, it's still going to be a fight these last three to four games. They are going to give it everything they have, especially tomorrow. I do agree. I think it's going to be more low scoring. These two teams just don't play five, four games. It really, just... not not very often. And, and the big thing, also, the last thing I want to say really quickly is the Islanders haven't been, the Islanders haven't been able to get to their game because the Penguins haven't allowed them to have a lead. The Penguins have had yes. the lead going to the third period in every single game, and that stifles what the Islanders want to do. So as long as the Penguins can continue to play with the lead, they'll be fine in this series. I believe, if I'm correct, the Islanders I don't think have led for more than ten minutes overall in this series. It was in game one. That was it. Game one, game game two. Oh no, yeah, game, yeah, yeah. Game one, they led for a couple minutes, and then Freddie tied it. Then Brock scored, and then they thirty seconds later. So I really only think it's kind of a little bit of shades from twenty nineteen, except you know it's a taste of your own medicine a little bit, where the Penguins only led for I think not even five minutes in those four games, and I think it's been like that with the Islanders so far, and that's been I think the biggest difference with this series is that Pittsburgh, like you said, they're not letting them trap it down and you know play like mud in the neutral zone because Pittsburgh has jumped all over them from the start and the Islanders have been chasing and they're not built to do that you know the the 2017 Ottawa Senators were the same way you know they played out one three one they're not built to come behind every single game and it's the same with the Islanders but they got to continue to shut down Barzell they've done a great job on him Eberle the same I mean usually that guy scores 600 goals against them every single game um Knock on wood, that continues. Hopefully, okay. No, I didn't. I didn't. No one rang the doorbell, Teddy. Um, sorry, just talking to my dog here. But um, yeah, I'm excited for it. Uh, though before we do go, just one more minute. Um, does Jeff Carter score tomorrow? Oof. You know, I feel like it's almost a guarantee, but not quite. Um, oh man, that's a hard one. Has anyone compared his numbers since the trade to Taylor Hall's? By the way, it's. Close. I think they're right around the same production. Some people were comparing this trade to Phil Kessel with his playoff production and overall regular season production. It's like, yeah, I mean, it was, yeah. it, it's, it's been something. 12 goals in 17 games. That's not three playoff goals in two games. Uh, three playoff goals in uh, three games, excuse me, basically being a yeah. point per game player at this point. I say they let him rest. I say they let him just do what he does on the defensive side of the puck, and somebody else scores a goal. Maybe McCann, but I definitely have Gensel. I don't think uh, I don't think Carter adds on to it. But if he does, it's hard to deny what what Ron Hextall was doing. <laughs> would not surprise me 
in the slightest. I don't think I doubt he'll score tomorrow, but you know, um, every time I say I doubt he scores, he he will score. And you know, just poor Danny from Pennswalk because you know he just gets it with his mentions every single night. Um, but um, I do want to thank both of you coming on this episode of the Locked On Penguins podcast. I really appreciate it. We'll definitely have to do this down the road if they do make a deeper run. As it looks like, we could be seeing, if all goes according to plan, Penguins-Bruins for the first time since 2013 when I was a freshman in high school and I was supposed to have tickets to Game 5 and then cried myself to sleep after Game 4. I was very upset. But uh, where can everyone find you guys on Twitter? Ice, take it away. You know you, you know how to do it the best. <laughs> <laughs> you can follow us on Twitter at Iceberg Podcast. We're also on Instagram at Iceberg Podcast, uh, YouTube and Facebook at the Tip of the Iceberg Podcast. You can follow me personally at Nick underscore Berlansky. I know it's hard to spell that last name, but if you go to Hunter's Twitter and just put people that he follows and type in BR, it should be one of the first <laughs> names that come up. You can follow Horwat at Nick Horwat41 on Twitter. All of our takes are our own obviously, and we have shows that come out every Monday and Thursday, anywhere you get your podcasts from. Thank you, Hunter, for having us on. I I know we've been excited to jump on, and I'm happy we got to do this. Yeah, absolutely. I really wanted you guys to come on, especially after uh, such a huge win for the Penguins. And fun fact, this was the same score as Game 3 when the Coliseum from 2013, uh, when Chris Kunitz had the overtime winning goal to uh, make Jack Capuano, old friend from the Coliseum, uh, go mad off the ice. But I figured I would just throw that in there as well. But that'll do it for this episode of the Locked on Penguins podcast. I want to thank both Knicks for coming on here. Um, and please go check out their podcast, the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, as they do um, a great job um, with their content. And they have a lot of special guests on um, that I have not even brought on myself. And maybe at some point I will. Um, but you know, like I said, they do great work and you should go listen to them twice a week. But anyways, that'll do it for this episode. I hope you all enjoy listening to it, and we'll do another one of these on Monday.